Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. Hello and welcome. This is Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey and you are listening to Transformational Energy Leadership and I'm coming to you live from the heartland of America. Now, during commercial breaks in the show, I encourage you to go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com where you can learn more about me and my business offerings and also contact me. Email me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can go to the voiceamerica.com slash empowerment channel here that you're listening to right now and contact me there and I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. So for everyone listening today, this is a live show. So if you have a question, a comment, maybe even a concern, call in and be part of the conversation today. Now today's discussion is about how transformational leaders move from models to mindsets and I have a special guest joining me today. His name is John Reed and let me tell you why this guy is special. John is the best-selling author on Amazon of his recent book called Moving from Models to Mindsets. And it's about sales, but I'll tell you, and I think everyone would agree, audience and ourselves included, we all have to sell something, whether it's our, our ideas, products, whatever, which is also just part of being a leader. Now, also, one, some other things about John, he was named a rising star in the chemical industry by Chemical Week, chemical Week magazine. He earned Forum's 1999 Rookie of the Year and 2000 Salesperson of the Year, and he is the founder of the J.M. Reed Group. JM Reed Group is a training consultancy organization that delivers fresh ideas via experiential custom-made delivery channels, and he was featured in Training Magazine's 2015 Top 10 Hall of Fame for Outstanding Training Initiatives. So this guy knows what he's talking about. And one on a personal note, I want to mention that John is a four-time cancer survivor. And so with all this stuff, this is one guaranteed show we're going to learn a lot from today. So John... Welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership. Well, thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. I'm glad to have you. And you know, John, you and I have worked together over the years creating experiences for clients that are memorable, applicable, meaningful. And I, I learn from you every single time I interact with you. So I can't wait to find out what I learned from you today. So <laughs> let's, let's see if that happens today. Okay. <laughs> and, me, and, me from you, and me from you, Matt, and me from you. So it goes both I'm going to put you in the hot seat right now. So, so John, speaking of that, that, let's get right to it. You wrote this book called Moving from Models to Mindsets. And I'm curious, what motivated you to write a book? Because let's face it, that requires a lot of focus and energy. And <laughs> Tell me about that. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, for a long period of time, uh, in my industry, in the training development industry, uh, there is a, a model uh, that where people break books. And if they write a book and the book becomes popular, they have, they, voila, you have a training company. So a lot of training companies have been built off of a book or an idea. Uh, and I've always, um, not been thrilled with that idea because there's no correlation between writing a book and doing good training. But in America, we seem to have that mindset that if somebody writes a book and it's about behavior and then they have a training company to train, let's go buy the training. But the two are really unrelated. So for 10 years, uh, the idea of writing a book wasn't that appealing. It was only after doing the work for 10 years in the market and then thinking about what are we doing that's different? What, 
do I, is there a different point of view that I have than what's out there? Uh, that I thought, okay, there I have something to say that I think is interesting. And it's based on what happens in the workshops, what really happens uh, in, in practice as we do our craft. So that's how the, sort of the book came to be. And then it, you, to your point, it could have been about leadership. It could have been about a variety of things. It ended up being about sales, uh, where I have a lot of passion and experience, and I have a good sense of how the competitors look at the, uh, the business, too, and what's out there. Is that mm-hmm. helpful? Helps a lot. And, it, you know, as I said in the beginning, too, so many of the elements of your book, and I read your book cover to cover, and it's, it's a good read. It's applicable. What I like about it is the concepts you introduce, yes, they're appropriate for the lens through which you're looking through in terms of sales. But when I step back, I mean, every aspect of my life, there were so many lessons that I went, yep, I could apply that to this relationship and that relationship. And I just found it so applicable. And you know, along those lines, let's talk about some of the, the themes and, and key elements that you pull out that really make you think. And in the very beginning of your book, you talk about building rapport and establishing trust. And in fact, you identify a stool supported by three legs that indicate when all three of those legs are in place and that stool is stable, that's where trust exists. And share with us about those three legs and, and why that's so important for trust. Uh, thank you. Uh, sure. The, um, it's a three-legged stool, and like any three-legged stool model, if you lose a leg, you, you break trust. So the idea is that there's three components. One is that you are confident, that you are good at what you do, that you know what you're doing. Uh, the second is that you are consistent, that you do what you say you're going to do. And the third one is that you care about people, that you're not going to throw somebody under the bus. So if you're confident and you do what you say, but I don't think you care about me, I don't trust you. If you are competent and you care about me, but you don't do what you say, I don't trust you. And then, of course, if you do what you say you do, you're going to do, and you care about me, but you're not confident, I don't trust you. So you need all three in tandem. So we explore that in the workshop because, like a lot of the topics in training and development, uh, everybody thinks they're trustworthy. So if you get, you know, we start oftentimes by saying, raise your hand if you're not trustworthy. Well, no hands go up. So then we say, well, you know, 45 minutes, I'm going to demonstrate to you, and to your satisfaction, that you, in fact, are not trustworthy. So that's how we try to get the participants to self-discover that some of their behaviors may be breaking trust and they're completely unaware of it. But those mm-hmm. are the three legs. Care, competence, and consistency. You also talk about when you're working with, you know, when you're selling or you're engaging with others, you make the case that people pay for insight. Ex- expand on that. What do you mean by that? Well, the, uh, you know, in the classic model of uh, consulting and selling, so we'll use them both. And when we talk about selling, we're not talking about, you know, fuller brush salesmen or the you know, car salespeople. We're talking about a complex business-to-business sales uh, or consulting type of arrangement. Uh, to The old model was sort of a, you know, ask a bunch of questions and then play back what you heard and then offer your solution. Uh, but given that there is information balance now. It used to be buyer beware, but now sort of seller beware, right? Because information is, is available to both parties in equal, equal amounts on the internet and just it's available out there. So to compete in that environment, you've got to bring insight. You've got to bring something that the client doesn't know. Now, you've got to do it in a way that I think is effective, and we can talk about that as well. But you know, people pay for insight. People, buyers, uh, reward sellers, reward consultants who bring ideas, uh, either identify a problem they didn't know they had, or provide a solution they didn't know existed uh, with, with their business. So, so that's the winning strategy. Is how do I bring that kind of insight? Most salespeople are problem solvers, 
versus problem identifiers. And what you really want to be is have a headset of problem identification. Yes. Are you you truly identifying the real problem instead of just solving a problem? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, you and I have talked a lot about curiosity. And curiosity is really hard to do. It's hard to have a conversation (laughs) and not let your agenda (laughs) seep into there, right? And I've I've seen you, you know, when I read your book and when I've seen you train, I see this come to life. And you also say that we also fall into the expertise trap. How does that get in the way of things? There's a couple of things of curiosity that are fascinating. I mean, I uh, about four or five years ago, this idea of you know, most salespeople, most people are, particularly salespeople, but also consultants, you know, and leaders, we're, we're all sort of quasi-curious, right? We're curious about the things we're curious about, but we're not broadly curious. Uh, we don't take a broader point of view about the person, about the individual, about what their aspirations are. We tend to focus on those things that are going to, you know, it's a very transactional mindset, right? It's a very small-minded way of thinking, right? It's not a mindset. It's not a real broad mindset, but I want to sell you something. So I'm curious about what you're currently doing around this thing versus the broad landscape. What also gets in our way, uh, this is much more true of consultants probably than salespeople, but both, is the expertise trap. There's a lot of research that says that the more we know about something, the more confident we are in our knowledge, the less curious we are. Uh, And, of course, humans are pattern-seeking and meaning-making, so we're always thinking we know more than we do, and we're always thinking that, you know, we, we have a pretty good idea of what's going on, and that really limits our curiosity. We don't come in with a learner's mindset. We don't come into these things. Uh, in fact, it's a lost superpower, right? Because as children, we were wildly curious, and we really pull that back uh, as, we, as we grow, which is unfortunate. You know, and what's, what's the age that that flips when we stop being curious? I, I don't know. Do, do uh, you do the research? Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> The research, I mean, you know, the research would say somewhere about middle school, right? So the the socialization that happens in school um, from our parents, you know, uh, the way we're educated, you know, I I think there's some good data about middle school at ending. The number of questions kids ask, you know, starting out and then by the time they're eighth grade is almost down to zero. There's also divergent thinking. There's data on that, the same, same sort of thing. The trend really goes down. The ability to be divergent in our thoughts is reduced a lot as we grow. Mm-hmm. And there's the trap. We get older, we become wiser. If we, <laughs> we so much think that we're wiser, and then we become promoted, and we get into these leadership roles. We're not asking, we're telling a lot. That's what I'm, I'm yeah. hearing you say. And we, and yeah. we uh, you know, Matt, we sort, most people, not all, um, most people sort for similarities, right? How is this like this? How is this like that? They're looking mm-hmm. for that. So, and, you know, we do that at all levels, right? I mean, Iraq is another Vietnam or, you know, Trump is another Clinton or, you know, whatever it is, we just, we, we, we quickly take these shortcuts and we try to, um, so we don't have to think too deeply, right? So we, we make these mental leaps, these mental shortcuts, which doesn't cause deep thinking and, and little curiosity. Uh, now, some people, fortunately, do sort for how things are dissimilar, so how they're not alike. And we'd all benefit from how is being more curious, but how is this different than what I've seen before? How is this mm-hmm. not like the last client? How is this not like the last negotiation? How is this not like the last performance conversation? I mean, that would be better. But um, again, m- most of us are wired for similarities. Right. And finding dissimilarity will cause deeper thinking, perhaps more insight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. God, God forbid. <laughs> 
That's yeah. Imagine that. You know, before we go to break, I I want to one thing that or another element about your book I like is you do bring in some metaphor and you bring in some really fun phrases like flying cats and so on and so forth. And there's one an element that you talk about and it's it's called the snow cone versus the snowman selling approach. And I I really believe the underpinnings of what you're talking about there are just rich for. All the, everyone listening here, would you mind sharing what you mean by that snow cone versus the snowman? Yeah, these are the three circles. So if your listeners are envisioning a snowman, you see it goes small, then larger to the bottom. And that is, the three circles represent, <clears throat> first of all, you know, the, first, the smallest circle would be I, I know the need. The second circle would be present my products and solutions. And the third circle, the biggest circle, would be close, close, close. So most people think about salespeople. And they have the negative connotation related to that, they think of, of a snowman, somebody who's transactional. I'm not going to ask you a lot of questions. I know what you want. Uh, I'm going to sham wow you. You, can, you know, picks up 30 times its weight, you know, oil spills, blood spills, water spills, you know, talk, 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 talk. And if you act now, we'll throw in that. That's the classic sales snowman model. So most of us have been snowmen, snowman, uh, snow person. And when we think about selling in a negative way, we think about it that. Now, the partner model, the snow cone model, is actually the big, the circle, biggest circle is the top circle. Understanding the needs, summarizing, building trust, uh, adding value, uh, identifying this next circle, be identifying opportunities, and then the third circle be collaborating on a solution and persuading sort of through involvement. That's the snow cone. The snowman wants to win on out-persuading, out-talking, out-manipulating, um, being, being too clever by half. The snow cone wants to win on out-understanding the competition. I've always believed that the, the best way to win business uh, and persuade people is to have them feel truly understood. And, and therefore, they trust that you've heard them, and then they have great trust in whatever you're going to propose. But that's, that's, that's where our belief, and that's what we teach. Right. I, and I completely subscribe to that. I mean, that's where the trust comes in. That's where a person's self-worth really elevates and imagine if we did that in all of our relationships we came in with the snow cone approach instead of drip 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 <laughs> snow person approach well John Brad, <laughs> can you imagine how the world would be different let's go ahead and take a break here and you know when we come back i want to explore further because i have been in the opportunity to watch you do sales calls and i want to share with the, the listening audience have you talk more about what makes that, I think, special, magical for the other person who's engaging with you. So when we come back after the break, we'll, we'll do that. And for all the listeners out there, go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com. And we'll be back here in about two minutes. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. 
Do you have audacious faith for your business? We help you to learn more about stepping out on faith to brand your business and yourself in today's crowded competitive marketplace. Is your marketing plan in order? How do you set yourself apart? Audacious Faith for Your Business with host Dawn Jordan-Jones will teach you the methods that can make yourself and others aware of who you are. Audacious Faith for Your Business is broadcast live every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in and see your hard work pay off. If you're lost in the dating world and need GPS, if you're stuck in dating hell and can't get out, if you're in need of a dating intervention, then Done Being Single with host Trevor and Robbie Sharp is your lifeline to love. From hookups to happily ever after, learn how to navigate single life and find the one. Tune in to Done Being Single Saturdays, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back, everyone. Today, I am joined by John Reed, and we are engaged in a dialogue about how transformational leaders move from models to leading with mindset. And John, what I really like about your book throughout it, you make some references to some key theories and concepts. And I have to say, you know, what I really appreciate about your book is that you make that theory reality and you give it. That's what I think really differentiates your book about sales from other many of the other books that are out there on the market right now. And if you don't mind, I'd like to explore some of those concepts. One of them you talk about is a ladder of inference and making it's really fundamental, I think, for all of us to consider when we're selling our ideas, we're selling goods, products, and other things. Tell us more about that ladder of inference and why it's so important. So the ladder of inference is, you know, a model to be treasured. I mean, so it's funny, right? The book's moving from model to mindset, but now I'm going to talk about a model. <laughs> so there is a place of... There is a place for models, right? I mean, models serve a great purpose, and this is a great model, the ladder of inference. Uh, it just is a nice, elegant, um, simple model that talks about how our brains work. It comes from Chris Argis out of Harvard. Uh, it was in Peter Senge's as a discipline. It's been, uh, been around uh, for a while. Uh, but it just talks about how quickly we move from uh, the pool of data to selecting data to making assumptions, conclusions, and forming a belief and taking action, and then acting like everything above the data is is the truth when it's, it's just inferences we make, right? We're, we're inferential beings. We make assumptions and we act on these assumptions and we can't help it. And it's not bad that we do. It's just really bad that we act as if our assumptions are the truth. Uh, mm-hmm. So where the latter comes in for in selling or in anything for me is, you know, the epiphany for me was probably, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago when I first got exposed to the latter, there was a realization that I'm just a person with a point of view right? Uh, there's the data, and I've taken the data, and I've reached some conclusions, but it's just a point of view. And you can take the data and reach a different conclusion, and you have a different point of view. And isn't that interesting? And I'm wildly curious about your point of view and how you took that data and got there. Um, and so, so that 
that helps a lot because when I'm talking to clients, most people when they talk to clients, they, they talk as if they have the answer. You know, if I'm selling for a competitor, uh, and I, you know, worked for some of the competitors back in the day, you know, here's, we have the answer. Here is the answer. Your people need this answer. Well, then you become a zealot. You become right. Other people are wrong. Uh, the learners are empty vessels. But if you think you have an answer, which is what I believe, I believe I have an answer, I believe it's a good answer, I believe it works, uh, you're far more willing to engage in the debate, in the conversation. And you want the participants to struggle in the debate, in the conversation. And you respect the learners because they have a point of view too and you're curious about their point of view. So the latter of inference, if you look at, it's, it's a great belief system to have that we, we are all just walking around with our points of view. We like to be right for a variety of reasons. Neuroscientifically, we like to think we're right. But at the end of the day, we just have a point of view. And that this is such a good springboard into my next question for you, because what you do, just thinking about the ladder of inference, you, you, you really subscribe or you really own that because I've seen you in sales calls and I've had the privilege of listening to you. And what struck me was your approach with you know having the ability to play back to the customer what you heard them say through story and you're not like you said you're not making inferences you're not judging you're not you don't have beliefs you take their words you turn it into a story and you paraphrase it in such a way that the person really heard it really knows that you heard it and i would love for you to share a little bit about how you do that um, this is probably the coolest thing in the book. I always people say, oh, you wrote a book. I'm like, yeah, read chapter seven. <laughs> because you know, if you're going to read a chapter, that, I mean, every book I've ever read, it's like, oh, this is a good chapter. And the rest of you are like, now there are other good chapters. A, a friend of mine met me for dinner, and, and he talked about two other chapters. So, yeah, I won't tell you what they are. But there, there are other chapters in there that I think people will find of huge value. The, um, the storytelling one is the most unique I don't think anybody else has ever talked about it. Storytelling is the rage these days. Everybody's talking about it. And the focus is how to tell the, your story better, right? How to tell your company's story better, which has value. I don't want to belittle its value. There's a, there's a rationale and there's good reason to, to be able to tell your company's story better. However, it's once again, you know, we're teaching salespeople how to talk, which doesn't seem to be the key problem that we're having, in my estimation. Uh, their problem tends to be on listening and then really, uh, again, if you want to out-understand a competitor, demonstrating a deep, deep understanding and then providing some insight based on that understanding. So what I've done, what I do in sales meetings, what we teach people, um, and you can learn it, but it's not, you know, it's not easy, is to go into a call, ask the questions like you would normally ask, uh, you know, uh, both, you know, so what's been, how long you've been here, what's going on, what do you see, and there's some other open-ended questions and gather all the data. And at some point, say, so let me just slow you down. Let, let me tell you what I'm hearing. And when I, what I do then is most sales training would say you summarize what you heard. You paraphrase, you know. And it, would, it would be very cognitive, right? It would be uh, you've been here two years and you are looking to improve your uh, margins and you're looking to, to develop your salespeople and you've got 100 of them and blah, 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 blah. And it would be sort of that. And the customer may or may not agree. Well, we teach and what I embrace and what works, uh, I know, is the idea of saying, okay, so let me tell you what I heard. You know, two years ago, you started your job and you were excited. Uh, and, and then uh, as you got to do your due diligence and walk around, you realized that the company, because they're owned by a private equity firm, is really into margin, right, and moving margin. And you've been working in that kind of environment before, but private equity guys are pretty focused on margin, particularly EBITDA, which is a whole other. So you, you start to play it out, and you, you tell it back in story form, and you're able to put emotions in there that the client may not have said. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you're excited. You're frustrated. You're nervous. I'm guessing you were this. I'm guessing you were that. I'm a human. I'm trying to demonstrate, but I can, I can put it in, uh, in my story. And I don't have to be right about the story either, which is beautiful, which people miss. Uh, so many salespeople fear not being right. Because I was, what I mean by that is you can tell the story, and then at the end you go, do I have it right? And I would say 90% of the time the customer goes, wow, yes, well, you, you have it exactly right, which is great, right? That's great when they say you have it exactly right. But every 10% where they go, oh, you know what, I don't think that part where you said this is quite right. I'm like, oh, well, tell me about it. Well, a lot of people are afraid of doing it because they have to be right. But yeah, in fact, being wrong and asking the customer to clarify is great. It's even better in some ways. Because now they're engaged in getting their story right. They want you to get their story right. Um, they get to teach. They get to talk. They get a dopamine release. You're the, you're the student. They're the teacher. Uh, that, that is powerful. Um, just, it's just so much good is going on there. So I, I was thinking the other day how most salespeople that I've worked with, it is, they're afraid of being wrong on the call. Mm-hmm. But if you're wrong in a way that, hey, tell me, tell me what I'm missing. Do I have this right? Here's what I'm hearing. Does that sound about right? Uh, that, that can be powerful. You've you got to be competent, obviously. It's one of the trust things we talked about. But you don't have to tell the story back 100% right. Uh, but if you do, of course, it works. And if you don't, I think it still works to your advantage. So there's no downside. But it is storytelling from a completely different lens. It's telling the client story with them as the protagonist, them as the hero. It's their journey. It's their story we want to get right. We spend more time getting that story right and, and less fascinated, less fascination, I think, with our own story and getting that right. Mm. And it, it, it harkens to a phrase I've heard you say so many times and I've embraced it, and that is, we are emotional beings who just happen to think. And you're tapping into the core of who we are as human beings. So that's the emotional side. Yeah, and that's how we make decisions, all right? We know from yeah. uh, our, our friend Phineas Gage, who had the pulse through his emotional brain, that he was unable to make decisions. So up until, I think it was up until Phineas Gage, somebody's probably calling to correct me, but um, that's fine. <laughs> but, there, you know, we, we used to think that it was all, if we did, the emotional brain was getting in the way, right? Uh, Descartes and, and Plato, and it was just like, oh, this emotional brain we have with this is really hampering us. But in fact, it's critical to decision-making. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be able to tap into that, too, and connect with that in, in conversations with people. Yeah, and I think if there's a realization or an embracing of the fact that everyone around us is emotional and don't don't just poo-poo that, how much richer our conversation will be. And I really like what you said, too, that you can be wrong, and that opens up even more dialogue because that person feels like, oh, okay, John's listening to me. He didn't get that right, and I want to make sure he does, so I'm going to expand on it. And there goes the conversation. Well, and it, you know, it's, 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 of course, it's Brene Brown, right? It's vulnerability. It's the last thing you see in me. It's the first thing I want to see in you. So there's a vulnerability of saying, do I have this right? You know, do I get this right or not? You're being vulnerable. But, that's, but people like when we're vulnerable. It, make, it, it positions them in a way that they, they can help us. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's, 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 that, it's, it's absolutely the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it, I like your phrase. You say, "Be interested." Don't you don't have to necessarily be interesting when you go into that conversation, right? Yeah. I mean, you well, you know, and this is, doesn't fit leadership as well, Matt, but it does fit selling and consulting. I mean, people buy on differences. You want to differentiate yourself. How am I going to show up differently? People want to show up differently with their offering which is crazy-making because the offering is so easy to copy. 
You know, they think my model's better than their model. My content's better than their content. My package is better than their package. That's just, I mean, that's tiring. That can be copied quickly. In some cases, it's true uh, for innovative products. But by and large, you know, you'd rather win on out-understanding. You'd rather mm-hmm. win on out-connecting, um, in my mind. Yeah. And, and you also, in Chapter 8, when you're talking about commitments, you know, when you're engaging with others, you talk about getting small C's along the way. Um, you know, when we're talking about commitments, what does that look like or what does that feel like? Um, well, you did read the book, first of all. <laughs> <Matt>. <laughs> I did. Um, did, you, did. Did you read your book? <laughs> yeah, well, I wrote it, but it was eventually you're like, oh, I have to read another word of this book. The, um, the yes, of course, you know, everything is, you, you want to get yeses along the way, right? Uh, now, not in a manipulative way, but in a we're building agreement way and we're in this together sort of way. Uh, and so I'm constantly, and, and, and asking the customer to do something at the end of every call and being clear on why we're having this conversation. So most initial conversations I have with people, my mindset is, um, my mindset is really, I don't know if we're going to work together. I don't know if it makes sense for us to work together. I really don't know much about what you are, what you're trying to do, and what your needs are. So I am really open-minded that this may not go anywhere. And I'll say that at the beginning of the call. Like, look, the purpose of the call today is I can give you 15 minutes here about what you're doing, what you're trying to do, where you're going. Uh, I'll take 10 minutes, talk about what we do, and we'll see if there's a fit. How does that sound? And most people go, huh, well, that sounds good. They, I, you know, you always want them... You always want them to go first, right? You always want them to, sorry about that, Matt. You always want them to go first. Um, yeah. And so get them talking, get them, and, and really have that mindset that it may not happen. Now, once you, once you, so at the end of that first call, you know, you have to be clear, what, what's, what's it, what makes sense next? Hey, I think what makes sense next, when we get together, perhaps, 30 days from now, I'll send you this, you'll send me that. But get them to do something, right? Get them to commit to something, uh, so that you're testing, you know, is this really real? Is this, is this a relationship matter? Does this make sense for both parties? If they're mm-hmm. reluctant to commit to anything after the first call, this, this may not be a good place for us to be right now. Uh, there's no judgment on that. It's just maybe not a good fit. I'm going to call the other day. I'm always shocked when people are shocked, Matt. Yes. Uh, I made a call with these four uh, senior leaders, and they were talking about their business. And at the, at the, after they talked, I said, I don't think you need my help. And they, will, they just laughed. Like, what? And I said, well, and I asked them, do you think you need my help? And they said, no. <laughs> and I said, well, neither do I. What's so funny? And they go, well, most, you know, people who run sales training organizations would never admit to that. Mm. And, I'm like, and I'm like, well, you don't. You don't need my help right now. You've got it wired. I mean, you've got it figured out. So, you know, I, maybe a year, I could, I, could, I could spend your time 30 minutes telling you why you need me, but um, it doesn't make sense in, in my estimation. So, you know, that's the mindset. It's got to be really, you know, you know it's, it's that sort of mindset. And so the yeses I'm asking for, to get back to your question, along the way, making sure that, that we're tracking together. This is a relationship that we're building together and getting those yeses along the way. So uh, I'm not wasting my time and they're not, you know, giving them a guilt trip about, you know, not following up on stuff. Does that, that help, really- Matt? Yeah, it helps a lot, and it really circles back to what you talk about—the three-legged stool. You're being competent, you're caring, you're, you know, being consistent. What you say, and that seed has been planted. Like you said, maybe a year later, ring, ring. Hey, John, we need you now. So, there you go. You know, back, yeah, back to the stool. One, one crazy thing about the stool that uh, I find I, I just find fascinating now. 
So can I tell you a little bit more about the stool, Matt? Mm-hmm. You can tell me more so, about the stool. You go for it, John. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I mean, again, people, uh, for those people listening, it's, you, know, you write a stool down, caring, competent, and you do what you say you're going to do. You're credible. You follow up. You know, and we ask people to get up and, 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 and make the case for each of those. And then we ask most salespeople to go to the one they're trying to win on. Right, which is the one that you're trying to demonstrate the most? And most salespeople go to, you know, do what I say I'm going to do. And that I'm always available and I'm ready available and they can call me 24-7 and I'll get right back to them. And then I ask them, who does that sound like? And they self-discover, you know, customer service. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're trying to win on being a great customer service rep. That's not insight. That's not challenging. That's not any of this stuff. That's just you know, transactional customer service behavior. What mm-hmm. I find fascinating, I work with partners, um, as you know, Matt, and yep. highest level leaders, and one guy was saying, oh, you know, I'm always available for my clients. My wife is upset with me. She said, put down the phone, but I, I feel like I got to be available to them. And I asked him, he's a, you know, six-figure guy, partner in a company. I said to him, what are you trying to win on? What's your brand? You know, what's your personal brand? And he realized, you know, it's this customer service brand. I said, you're trying to win on customer service. Here you are, top of your field, top of your game, and you still think you're trying to win on that. Uh, so it was eye-opening for him. But I, it, I think with technology, the pace of work, the competitive environment, a lot of people have succumbed to trying to win on being responsive. And being responsive is good, but it's not it's not a higher level capability, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not where you really want to be. Uh, and it's not the best version of yourself. You can bring more value to, to your clients and your work would have more meaning to you. Uh, if you, if you don't succumb to that trap that I think is out there. Uh, you're right. And, when we think about, oh, we want to be transformational, transformational salesperson, transformational leader, whatever it is. And what you just hit on was when we're being transactional, there's no way we can be transformational. And what yeah. you just said makes, yeah, brings it to light. John, let's, let's do this. Let's take a, a short break. And when we come back, let's talk more about your business and what, what you do differently from your competitors. So for everyone out there, okay. stay tuned. We'll be back here in a couple of minutes. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House Doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Are you frustrated that you can't seem to achieve your goals? Stop struggling and discover your power on Creatrix, creating the life you want, hosted by Amira Mondin. This show features the world's most intriguing guests, ready to guide you to self-realization using the powerful gift of your own mind. Tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back. So today, my guest, John Reed, and I are talking about transformation leaders, salespeople, moving from models to mindset. And John, up until now, we focused on your book and a lot of the nuggets you share to help salespeople and leaders reframe their thinking about selling. And now what I'd like to do is talk more about the creation of your training company. So John, what motivated you for you to create your own training company? Um, a couple things. I spent the first half of my career, I spent in industry, so I was the classic industry guy uh, in the chemical industry, Dow Chemical, FMC, sales, marketing, strategy work. I had a passion for learning. I thought people wanted to get better, could get better. I'd seen a lot of bad training, so I joined the training industry uh, at First Interaction Associates, who does great work in facilitation skills and forum at the time, who did great uh, research-based learning, and then later, later Eagle Flight, who did experiential learning. And in that journey... You know, I, I understood how training companies operated, what worked, what didn't work. Uh, I'm a four-time cancer survivor, and up until uh, Obamacare, really, I, I couldn't change companies and, and get coverage pre-existing condition type of thing. So I worked for a company very briefly. They they let me go, but because uh, but I negotiated medical coverage. So I had medical coverage, which allowed me then to start my own company. And when I started my own company, it was around like three real key drivers that are different than the competition and continue to this day, 10 years later, to be different than the competition. So our belief system, my belief system, is context is king, that relevance is paramount, that what the learner cares about, first and foremost, is, is this relevant? Is this person talking? Does this, does this content you know, resonate with my world? So we believe context is king, and once you believe that, you don't do off-the-shelf training. You're going in, you're doing discovery, and you're really figuring out the learner uh, is, is situation. The second thing is there's wisdom in the room that the learner is the star of the show, that the, it's all about the learner. They should get the best aligned. They should be the center of attention. They have wisdom. They got there. They're, they're, most of them are good. They're doing a good job. You know? Mm-hmm. It's a, how do we make them great? So uh, we designed for, you know, middle high performers. We're looking at there's wisdom. We're trying to tap into them. And the last thing, of course, design does matter. I mean, how this stuff is designed and put together. What floors me about my industry is that everybody knows adult learning principles and very few, very few people follow them. It's just shocking if you look at designs that come out of training companies. Why? So you say, well, why is that? How could that be? Right, Matt? You might say mm-hmm. that to me. Yep. <laughs> like, I, like, I was just going here? to say that. <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> well, well, here's what's going on, and this is the, this is the tragedy of, of the, my industry. 
is that the industry operates from the paradigm. I said context is king. They believe content is king. They believe the model is king. And once you have a belief that your model, your content is king, all kinds of bad things happen. And they're all bad. Uh, one is the facilitators are sort of, I mean, the participants are empty vessels, and they're wrong. Uh, they need to be taught something. They need to be taught this model. And the facilitator then becomes the star of the show, with, along with the model, right? And the facilitator is the stage on the stage, and they're going to teach people, right, which is not adult learning principle at all, this model that is the answer to the questions. Also, if you believe the model is the answer and the content is the answer, we can't change it. We're not going to adapt it. We're not going to flex it. We're not going to do anything because we know that the model is the answer. We know we, because we, perhaps we've done some questionable research where we validated that it is. Um, and I say questionable because I mean that. I mean, training companies that you know, validate their own models, you've got you to gotta scratch your head a little bit, be a little bit concerned about that. But regardless, you know, this, is, this content was built somewhere for some place at some time, and you're saying that in 2018 for this audience, it's exactly right. I mean, that's just silly. It's just it's crazy making. Now, they try to get around that, that by saying we're going to facilitate her. The facilitator will make it work, you know, which is just, again, nonsense. And the, I think the participants see through that. So the, the content-focused training companies, which is most of them, uh, the leader model is the answer. They become inflexible. They become legalistic. Uh, the training becomes formulaic. And I think the participants have been suffering for 30 years. And that's why... You know, people go to our workshops and go, oh, my God, I was so excited. It was so much better than I was. I thought it was going to be horrible, but I loved it. Yeah, because we respected you, and we engaged you, and you did most of the talking. And, you know, we, we talked about the tensions. We talked about some of the challenges that are real for you because we understood your world, and you knew that we did that work. So I, I think we have a better mousetrap in terms of how to design training. Um, I, I'm confident of that. And that, that served us well in our 10 years. And customers who see that, who like that, and rewarded that behavior. And I've worked for those companies where it's the same formula over and over and over. And the owner of the company that, you know, he created this model was like, you cannot deviate, don't do anything. And, you know, we would make the, the, <clears throat> the statement that, you know, the, the client's asking for this. This is what what they're needing and that harkens or that goes right back to your first point about is it relevant? What's the context now? I've seen that with you too. As I've worked with you Matt, I guess Matt, listen, I mean listen, I'll tell you two stories real quickly. But you know, there was a I worked well out with Forum. So back in the day Forum, who's now Miller Hyman, you know, there yeah. was a facilitator and the word on the street was, Oh my God, he's so good because at three o'clock, wherever he is in the world, you know exactly what he's saying. I'm like, what a tragedy. <laughs> what a what night a are you kidding me? But they thought this was the gold standard, right? that wow. he was consistent in delivering, you know, the oatmeal. Uh, so it was just like, wow. The other one is uh, one organization who I compete with now. They, you had to sign a contract with them to say you won't change what's been designed huh. or they don't okay. pay you. So as a facilitator, you're in the room with these people. They, they, they bring up an issue like prospecting and you go, yeah, no, I can't talk about that because I won't get paid, frankly, if I talk about that. I've got to give the CAN program that you, that you signed off on. Now, there's reasons why that occurred. But still, come on. It's not yeah, great right. self-learning. It's not, it's not great training when that happens. No, somewhere at 3 o'clock in the world. I, I'll remember that. I, you know, now I, I want to say in the part of the magic that you bring to the learning environment, I've worked with you with the same client, for example, a couple of years. And while it might be the same demographic, for example, perhaps it's individuals at a milestone in their career, 
what I what I really admire about what you do is you'll go in and say, okay, the business has changed, the needs have changed, the customers are, you know, what is it that you're that you need? It goes back to the questions that you asked earlier, and the facilitation and the experience that's created for them is in the moment is what they need versus what you said is relevant versus what you were saying other companies do and say, nope, we'll use the same thing we did last year. It worked well, so we'll just use it again, and. I've seen it work. It works really well. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's it's just, they, both of us think we're right, right? I mean, they think they're right. I think I'm right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they think they're right. They think they're right because their model is right, right? And that's, they, that's, that's, they think the model is the answer. Mm-hmm. And I'm more model agnostic. That's why the mindset, I think, and I, I think the models without the proper mindset discussion, it's easy. It's, it's, it's terribly easy to design training around here's the content, and here's a tool. You know, that's easy to I could design that in, in, in what, take me 30 minutes to design a team program. But, you know, what is the mindset you have to have? What activity are we going to put people through to talk about how they show up on teams and uh, what, what the implications of their own mindset has to do with it? I mean, but you've got you to start there. So all of our programs have some component of mindset at the beginning. What is the belief system currently? What does the belief system need to be for any of this stuff to work? Our competitors tend not to go there. I don't quite know why, but I know it's a lot easier to not go there and from a design standpoint and from a right. just crank it out standpoint. <laughs> right. so I think that's probably why they don't go there, but that's, that's, that's why the book comes about too because I've just noticed with all the companies I've worked for, there's very little talk about mindset, which everybody knows drives the behavior mm-hmm. that we're trying to change. Which is a great question all of us need to take away from this conversation is what is the mindset? What's my mindset? What's a person's mindset? John, I have to ask you this before we go to break. When you think about you engage with with leaders and all kinds of industries and companies, is there a favorite skill or is there something that you really thrive on facilitating that really gets you motivated? You asked a great question. You must have read chapter three. I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure chapter three. Um, a skill I like. To, well, I mean, I do like. I like anything like accountability, like trust. We we created some really cool stuff, as you know, Matt. I like any topic where people because you know I think it was I pronounced his name wrong. Epictetus, whatever his name was. You, know, you can't teach people something they already know. So I love that challenge where people know, yeah, I know accountability or I know what trust looks like and you can teach them still and not through a 360 assessment or not through a, some convoluted model, but through an actual quick activity where they self-discover, wow, thought I knew it, really don't know it like I need to know it. And that always excites me because, you know, then there's a healthy debate and there's a, because they're struggling then, right? And they're challenged and, and their, their framework's been challenged. And so they're engaged and they're like, well, I don't think this is applicable. Or, you know, I wouldn't have done this in the real world. Or this, normally I would have done this. And so it's fun <laughs> because now we can get out there and have that discussion, which is, which is where the learning really takes place. Uh, I have to say, I, I love it when I'm in those moments and you've got senior leaders who feel like they really have their grasp on something. And then you see them really struggling. And that's where the learning happens, doesn't it? When they're vulnerable. Go back to Bernie Brown. Okay, John, let's take a break right here. When we come back, let's sum up everything for our listening audience and the key takeaways that they they can take and instantly implement in their lives. So for everyone out there, go to my website, transformationalenergyleadership.com. We will be back here in just a few moments.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. What makes you a success? Is it your business or career? Is it your family and social life? How do you achieve the next level in your success? Tune in to Infinite Success Radio with host Rachel O'Brien Eddy. Rachel and her amazing guests are here to encourage, inspire, and empower you to take control of your destiny and achieve the level of success you were born to reach. How do ordinary people become extraordinary? Find out with Infinite Success Radio, broadcasting live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Today, we've been focused on how transformational individuals move beyond models and really use mindset and use it to its full extent. So, John, you've got years of experience in sales. You've worked, you've coached others. You've led divisions of organizations, and you now have culminated things and, and transcribed it into a book for others to appreciate what you bring to this world. And, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting on our conversation over the past hour, and Help us distill, what would be the three things you would like for us to take away from today's conversation? I'm a big, big believer that, you know, there's, we, have, we have in us great capacity, right? We have these lost superpowers that we had as children, but we tend to lose as adults, uh, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. And one of the big ones is curiosity. The children are wildly curious about everything, ask good, great questions, open-ended questions, have people stop and think, ask questions we don't know the answer to. Uh, but we lose that. And so... Part of it is just asking better questions, asking questions that make the other person really think, speculate, evaluate. We talk in the book about what makes for a better question. But, but most of our questions do not really engage the other person as cognitively and deeply as we'd like. So curiosity would be a big one. The second one is the idea, and it comes from Lev Vygotsky. Uh, he's a Mozart of psychology. He's a Russian psychologist back in the 30s, I think. And he talked about the concept of play ahead taller, that kids on the playground would play ahead taller than their age. So an eight-year-old would play like a 12-year-old, a 12-year-old might play like a 14. But eventually we lose that. We lose that capacity. And so there's this fear, right? There's this fear of taking risk. Even with, you know, things that don't even think risk. But oftentimes in my workshops, people go, oh, I wouldn't ask that question. Well, I don't want to, I wouldn't ask that one. And and this fear of the answer. Mm -hmm. Or even the, I was told you about the time, um, you know, going back to the customer, playing it back. And the customer said, well, that's not quite right. The other person was on the phone with me in the debris said, oh, my gosh, how, that must have been horrible for you. You were wrong. I'm like, no, it wasn't. I'm, 
I don't think I'm right about everything. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Like, but this fear of being wrong in front of somebody else is just, you know, not helpful, right? So right, we have, yeah. take some risk. Take some risk. Calculate risk. Smart risk. You know, be humble with your risk. So I, I demonstrate humility uh, when I say, hey, I, you know, if I were you, I think I'd be doing this. So, you know, how are you thinking about this versus you need to do this, right? Not, I never speak from the air of expert. It's from the persuading with some uncertainty, right? So there's this, this idea of you know, taking risk. And I think, and like I said before, the, my lifesaver has been the point of view thing. Mm-hmm. That I got a point of view. And I passion around it. Uh, I, I, as you can tell, hopefully your listeners can tell, real passion about what I do. But I know it's, it's my point of view. And I know that other people have a different point of view. And so I'm always fascinated uh, when people have a different point of view. I sent an email out recently we said, you know, with a book, Matt. We sent this email saying, you know, model to mindset, changing the way. And the guy wrote back to me and he said, you know, so you're saying I'm doing things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, no, I don't know what you're doing. So we should talk first. And I got him on the phone. He goes, yeah, I love your response. I said, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you're doing anything wrong. Tell me what you're doing. <laughs> and he was doing a lot of things right. I said, no, you're doing, you're doing what I would do if I were you. But here's what, you know, here's what we are doing that you didn't talk about that might be cool for you to do. And now I think we're going to have a relationship with him. But he was doing a lot of things right. So, you know, that's good, too. Uh, but just recognize he's got to, you know, so being interested in the other person is always, uh, I think, of great value in any kind of relationship building in any kind of role. So those would be the big three, curiosity, play at taller, and really being curious about others' point of view. That'd be having it. Right. I, and I'm glad that you closed with that final one, too, is you have to have passion. No matter what you're doing, who you're inter- interacting with, others need to feel that passion. You know, and it's yeah. it, when, when you've got it, it comes through. You know, John, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out, sharing with us your insights, talking about your book, how you're transforming others' lives through the, lear- the, the training and the leadership and the consulting and coaching work that you're doing. And I appreciate you sharing all of that with us today. And, you know, for the listening audience out there who might want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, either through the website, which is www.jmreid, R-E-I-D group.com or you know, they can call <laughs> I'll answer the Just, phone 856-397-6157 856-397-6157 love to help and hear from anybody who has a question or wants to know more thank you Matt Fantastic. I'm. I'm wondering, John. Did you just date yourself by calling? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. You could have said. You could say you can text me too. <laughs> or you could. No, say, John. Yeah, you can text me if you have to. <laughs> if you have to. <laughs> John. No, no, I'm, I, I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. Well, thanks Thanks a lot. And, you know, for everyone out there, if you've got a topic that you would like to have on the show, someone that you think would add some nice, vibrant dialogue to this conversation about transformational leadership, please feel free. Email me, contact me. And until next week, harness your positive energy and lead transformation. Stay well. Take care. Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.